And we're back with Annika uh, for part two of her uh, show. We're going to get straight into it. So we were just closing up on uh, your testimony as well as the uh, opportunities you had with ghostwriting for some big names such as uh, David Green and Bill High. Uh, The next question I have for you is really getting into the writing part. Uh, What is the secret to getting over writer's block? I mean, you're the one who's actually doing the work, right? And I can only imagine if I was doing that, I'd sit there and look at the wall for an hour. How do you get over that? Okay, so I'm very passionate about this because I don't struggle with writer's block at all. And people hear I'm a writer and that's one of the first things they bring up. So (laughs) I'm going to go on my soapbox for a second. Imagine you walked into a restaurant or like a bakery and there's just like no baked goods on the shelves and the baker's like, sorry, I just had baker's block today. (laughs) Like, no, that's your job. Like, figure it out. And so just as a full-time writer, you don't have the option for writer's block. And so um, there's two things for writer's block. The first one is writer's block is just perfectionism. And so it's whenever people's expectations of how they should be able to perform is not what their ability is for mm. where they're actually able to perform. And so then you get so intimidated because you want to write this great novel and then you sit down and you're like, I don't know what to write. So you just have to write bad writing <laughs> or at least like be content with your ability to perform being less than the ideal in your head. And because um, it's easier to edit bad writing than to just try to have perfect writing the first time. And so just write what you can and then expect to edit and then to edit and then to edit and then to edit. So then by the time it's a finished product, it's ready. But I like to compare, like if you were to walk into a bakery, um, you don't expect to just automatically pop out a cake, you know, it's going to be batter and then it's going to be poured into a pan and put in the oven. And so Mm -hmm. it's like my goal when I'm writing the first draft is just like putting the batter together. And when you look at it, you're like, that doesn't look like a cake at all, you know, but it's the beginning. And so when I look at the first draft, I'm like, it's okay. It doesn't look like a book at all. It's just the first draft. And so you just keep going and keep doing it. And then that's how a book appears. But it's just being content with what you can write and just writing what you can. Mm. Do you start with an outline? Um, Cause that, I start out brainstorming. Yeah. I'll just like write out, um, first of all, research. So I'll like have to have the content there and the ideas there. And then I just like bullet points, brainstorm on a page like, everything that I think could maybe be included. And so just like brainstorm everything out. And then from that, like, okay, well, like, what do I really want? And then I'll kind of make a rough outline and be like, okay, I think that could work. And then I'll redo the outline and be like, okay, I think that works. And then I'll write a very rough draft based on that outline. But at this point, I'm not caring about how it sounds at all. Like I'm just writing down, okay, this is what I want to say. And then once I have written down the very rough draft of what I want to say, then I'll rewrite that again with like then focusing on like, okay, how does this sound as I'm saying that? Like, is it actually communicating well? So that by that time, it's like the fourth time that I've like gone through the material. So you start, let's say you have a rough outline. When you say do a first draft, mm-hmm. is that the whole book first draft? I go section by section. So like in the outline, I'll have like a chapter outline. And then within the chapter, I'll have like, okay, these are the five main points of this chapter. And so they're usually divided into sections. So I'll write like a couple sections and then go over those depending on how long they are. And then just like take it step by step, chunk by chunk. Mm, Wow. Uh, Yeah, because I think 
for me personally, I get stuck in, um, <laughs> really, it's like if I start writing, I don't want to start getting into something that I should be talking about later on in the book. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, why am I talking about this now? I should be talking about that later. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I it, it's really an internal fear of rambling and mm-hmm. not having some cohesive thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then uh, is the outline how you prevent that? Like, yeah, yeah. There is this quote from Donald Miller that I love. So he yep. wrote Scary Clothes, Blue Like Jazz, some yep. books. And I love his writing style. Wait, so. did you read his earlier stuff? Is that what you're, that, is that like you, jazz was the earliest book I read. Okay, because he's more now known for the business stuff. Yes. Marketing made yeah. simple. Uh, there was a story brand or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, so in Scary Close, he was talking about writer's block and how he overcame writer's block. And he just wrote out this like mantra for himself. And it started with things like, I am willing to sound dumb. I am willing to be wrong. I am willing to be something passionate about something that isn't perceived as cool. And then he went through all these like just all the fears that were holding him back from wanting to write. Um, And then it ends with, I'm perfectly willing to be perfectly human. And so writer's block is usually just fear of, fear of not sounding good, fear of rambling, fear of getting it wrong. And it's like, you just got to push through and just, Mm. yeah. What grade level do you think is best to write at? It depends on your audience. Newspapers are written at a seventh grade level um, just because they want to be able to reach everyone. But then it depends on, like Hemingway, I think it was to. fifth grade. From really? I, yeah, okay. yeah. So I'm because sometimes it's funny because um, I, I find myself writing in a mix of kindergarten and then like twelfth grade. <laughs> so somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Some of these words, I'm like, I don't know if even why am I using this word? Where did that even come from? Uh-huh. Yeah, but would you say like the fifth, fifth, seventh, seventh grade? You said. What about like a if your if your audience is like a business audience, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think follow your gut, but the simpler, the better. Um, Because if it's easy to understand, you're not thinking about the words. Yeah. Um, You're just thinking about the message. But if you're like, can't understand it because it's above you, then you're just going to like the reader is going to get lost in it. Uh, How much how much should it be conversational as opposed to um, formal? Again, it depends on what you're writing. So if it's like, who are you talking to? What are they looking for? Mm. So there are going to be times that conversational would work because mm-hmm. that'd be like a blog, right? Right. Or like one of the writers with Streamline, she's writing to high school audience. And so her book is like, LOL. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that makes sense, though, because it really comes down to the audience. Like right. You said, but if you're yeah. writing for like business leaders, you're not going to be like, LOL, that was so weird. Right. Right. <laughs> Let's hope not we're doing that. Yeah. Um, uh, any other, what, like, what would be any other tips that you would give somebody who uh, is trying to write a book? Um, one of the quotes that uh, the Streamline founder, Will Severns, always says is, don't seek to get published, seek to get edited. And I love that. Of like So much we're like, okay, how can I get published? But our work isn't ready to be out there. And like every single person benefits so much from editing after editing after editing and like feedback after feedback. And so just try to get your work out to people who can be honest with you and tell you what needs to change mm. and then just learn to change it over and over and over. So what is, uh, tell me more about Streamline Books. Um, so they're a hybrid self-publishing company, and so they will. Um, it's fee for service, so people will come to them, and Streamline helps them self-publish their book, and then the author owns all the royalties 
And so we'll just, if they need a ghostwriter, we'll provide a ghostwriter to help them put their book together. If they want to write it themselves, but they just need like developmental editor or writing coach, we'll provide that for them to help them along the process. Or if they already have a manuscript done, they can bring it to us and we'll just do like the editing and publishing part for them also. So from how long usually does it take uh, from zero, day zero to finish book? It's about five to six months for their process. And then you guys will be there to hold that writer accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does, what does that look like? Yeah, so it's great. And so every author gets an entire team. So there's a project manager, there's either developmental editor or ghostwriter, depending on what's needed, and then a copy editor and graphic designer. And so um, we just have this like template that the timeline of the project is put into. And it's like, okay, we start this day. Then by this time, the writing needs to be done. By this time, the editing needs to be done. And by this time, the graphic design needs to be done. And by this day, you'll have your book. Mm. So walk me through... What does it look like when they're when the writer is not writing? <laughs> um, so then we just we do have an extra fee, and so it's like okay, if your project is postponed by this time, like we will eventually start. Oh, they have to pay. Oh, that makes faster. sense. The yeah. consequences now they have to pay more money. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is how like how much people will do that uh, because of accountability, right? Mm-hmm. And always it always goes back to you're paying a fee to hold yourself accountable. Yeah, it really is. Uh, So with ghostwriting, though, what does that process look like? Um, So for me, the way I do it is I'll interview someone and I'll record those interviews and then I'll um, have like this AI service just transcribe it. And then from those transcriptions, I'll go through it because people talk very differently from how you would write. And so I'll take their message, but then put it into like a written form that would make sense in a book. Hmm. So... um how do you, like, how long, like, how much recording is that <laughs> for a full right. book? Right. It's about, I mean, it can be anywhere. Like, I've gone on some interviews, it's like, I'll have, like, two to three days of recordings worth. Um, and it's not, like, talking for 24 hours, sure. obviously, yep. but, like, yep. within those days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the way that the streamline does it, it's five two-hour interviews, and so it just ends up being 10 hours total, which if you open up an audiobook, it'll say, like, it's usually about six to nine hours. Good point. So that makes sense. Yeah. So about, you said, so five to nine hours, right? Mm-hmm. Should be about a, a normal size book. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, for you to be able to listen to it and then actually put it into a, some sort of book, I'm like, how do, how do you even do that? I love it. I love just getting to know the person so well that I feel like I can hear their voice in my head as I write. Because mm. <laughs> my goal is to be their voice on paper. Like, I'm not writing as me. I'm writing as them. And so just sharing whatever it was that they shared in the interview in written form. Have you ever written your own book? I'm working on a novel. <laughs> yeah. Because right now, I mean, you're basically, you're channeling people's ideas into Mm -hmm. paper, right? Yeah. So then how's that process been now that you are the person who's the source? It's so vulnerable. It's really easy to hide behind like, well, this is their idea and they'll have to market it. And nobody even knows that I worked on it. But to put like my own heart on paper, it's just like, you don't realize how vulnerable it is until you're the one doing it. But it's Mm. like such a risk to be so honest and know that the world will see it. Hmm. Uh, Shifting gears here. It seems more, uh, more and more young people are leaving the church, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? So I'm so glad that you asked this question because I actually, um, back in 2015, wrote an article for the Kansas City Metro Voice called Why Millennials Are Leaving the Church. 
So um, the Signatory hired some interns who did some research on this topic for a summer, and then I took their research and compiled it into an article and interviewed, um, just like went out on the plaza and interviewed millennials and at coffee shops. And um, so the thing I was most struck by for why they were leaving the church wasn't like I had expected like, oh, they don't like God, they're mad at God, they don't like religion. But when I talked to them, it was just like, yeah, I grew up in church and it, it just didn't really do anything for me. It didn't really seem relevant, um, which was really eye opening. And so um, I just I think of the verse and I had it written down here. First mm-hmm. um, Timothy three, it talks about how in the last days people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And it just like lists all these horrible things. And then at the end of the list, it says one of the things that listed at the end says having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And I just, that verse always haunts me of like having a form of godliness, like you'd think that's good, but it's denying its power. That's the problem. And so as I was thinking about why these millennials and now Gen Z are leaving the church, it's not that it, not that they have anything against God, but it's just that church had no relevance to their daily life. Like they'd say things like, I get more encouragement from hanging out with my friends than I ever did from church. Or like, I feel closer to God when I'm out in nature hiking than I ever did in church. And so it's like, they're not rejecting God. Some of them might be. I think a lot of them are rejecting this form of godliness that has no power. And they're seeing like, if there's a God, this is not who he is. And so they're rejecting the false religion, but I don't think that they're rejecting God. And I think a lot of them honestly haven't heard. Like when I started talking to them, it's like they honestly grew up and there was a God, like knowing that on some level, but they couldn't tell you like, Jesus Christ loves me, died for my sins, has his Holy Spirit inside of me and is like giving me power to live a new life, free from anxiety, free from fear and living fully in his power. Like they don't have a reference for that. And so just thinking of like, Romans 10, 14, it says, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? And I think we need to see our young people as that, not to think, oh, they're leaving church, but to think they've probably never heard. They probably need someone to preach the gospel to them. Amen. And so, yeah. Instead of thinking like, why are they leaving church? Just start thinking on ourselves like, when's the last time I shared the gospel with someone Mm -hmm. like when's the last time me and my friend from church got together to pray for God to use us in our community because like they just need to see the power they need to see that it's real and it's like am I living that way you know Mm. yeah how much how much of it do you think is um, rooted in in self-focus because think about uh, the things that they told you were all in my opinion they kind of rooted in that self focus Mm. Uh, what is it going to do for me? I mm-hmm. get more, you know, f- um, encouragement from, you know, going out in, in the wilderness. But is that what, what the gospel is about? I mean, the gospel, and from my understanding, is we are dead in sin. And the only way that we are uh, justified with the Father is through the Son. Mm-hmm. The Son, he was, un, you know, he was a perfect sacrifice for our sins from beginning to end. And only through professing him as our Lord and Savior is how we are cleansed. And then, like you said, yeah. uh, we die and resurrect with him. Now we're in him, right? And he's in us. And now we're justified with the Father. But none of that was, oh, so then we can live a better life. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Now, consequently, when you are now joined with Christ, things are going to probably feel better, but maybe not like compared to worldly standards, right? Mm -hmm. Because Christians were were called to be persecuted. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to go through hardship just because it's the way things are when we're living in this world. I think um, that for me, I don't know what your thoughts on that, but it's just a lot of the social media selfies. Think about that word, selfie, mm-hmm. which is self-focused, right? Yeah. And it really just goes back to uh, when you become a Christian. It's all about Christ, not us anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't mean anything anymore. It's yeah. we're now in Christ. So, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting because the list I just read from Second Timothy three, the very first thing it says, people will be lovers of themselves. Correct. So I think you yeah. just hit the nail on yep, the head. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's you're right. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I, I think I've always said this. I think it's a it's a byproduct consequence of abundance, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we go through World War II, come out as a superpower. Now, uh, America is you know as seen as the the world leader. So, what does that mean? You know, we live pretty well overall, and there's not a lot of resistance as opposed to back then. Right when you have resistance and when you have hard times, what do you do? Yeah, you start praying. Yeah, <laughs> but when you don't have that, I mean, yeah. just think about this. Like, think about Ukraine, living in there now, like living there now, right now, and you hear bombing and all this stuff going on. I mean, going to a third world country, you went living there, like that's your place of residence. Things are a little bit different, um, and it's not so much as as a focus on ourselves, but more of uh, God, like I need you, God, <laughs> like Job, right? Yeah. So, anyways, I could yeah, rant on that forever, point. but uh, as I, I, I really, uh, I like that you went and interviewed people. Just you just go randomly in, in the yeah. plaza. Hey, <laughs> it was really fun. can I interview? <laughs> and people are so nice. Yeah. It's like a, you should have made a YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, speaking of the Bible, you're a writer. I mean, you're a professional writer. So. How do you see the Bible from a professional writer's view? Yeah, I think, well, one big thing is like to be a writer, you have to believe that written text has meaning. Like it has objective meaning. I wouldn't write a book unless I trusted like, if somebody reads this book, they'll be able to tell what I'm saying by what I've written. And so I think some people can take the Bible and say like, well, it means it can mean what you want it to mean, or maybe it doesn't really mean that. But just like as a writer, it's like, no, the reason we write is because writing has meaning. And so you can take that same outlook to the Bible and say, like, somebody wrote this and they had a meaning when they wrote it. And it is possible for us to decipher what it says. Like, that seems common sense. But I think there's a lot of people who use an excuse of like, oh, you can't really know what it says. But that's just not true at all. Right. Yeah. You got to actually study it. You Mm -hmm. you can't just uh, just kind of breeze over it and expect to completely understand it. I yeah. Mean, you gotta study it. Yeah. And like none of my books would I ever be written for someone like with the intention of I'm writing a whole book, but feel free to like just take one sentence <laughs> and just use that one sentence. Like, no, I like I wrote the whole book for a reason. Isn't that called <laughs> taking what I said out of context? Yeah. 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 And so I think it's easy to do that with the Bible of just take a verse. And obviously it's all like the living word. And so every part of God's word has power, but when we write things, they're meant to be taken as a whole. Mm. It's like, how many writers, I, I always botch this, 
uh, with the Bible. I know it was like 1,600 years with all these different writers in that mm -hmm. time period, and all, and then it came together and made mm -hmm. one big story, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, think about that is crazy to think about. Yeah, 1,600 years apart, and I, hopefully I'm not botching that number, but. I mean, these people. They didn't know yeah, each there's other. no other literary project that has ever even come close to right that, ever. And here's the other thing to think about: is why is the Bible so popular? Why is it so influential? Mm -hmm. Well, I compare to anything else. Uh, I obviously we believe it's because it's God's word, right? But uh, I think people who kind of are not really thinking about the Bible should. Yeah. I mean, the Bible is never included on the bestseller list because hands down every single week, it would be the best seller. And so I think we forget about that of like, by far, it's like the most sold book. Mm. And it was fun to interview um, David Green, CEO of Hobby Lobby after 2020. I interviewed him the next year, 2021. He said like during COVID sales, because they sell Bibles in Hobby Lobby mm. and their Bible sales skyrocketed during COVID. Why is that? So yeah, it's just like in suffering, like you were saying, is yes. when people realize their need for well, God. Well, that's uh, that's how we um, first off the Bible says this over and over again. That's the only way that our faith is strengthened is through the suffering, through the hard mm -hmm. times. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can just look at COVID. I know as a business owner, there was a lot of praying, and I've actually said this before. So mm -hmm. That is when I decided. It's time to be fully in this. Wow. No more of this like teeter, you know, going back and forth and kind of a, what I call an 80% Christian. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And I said, you know what? No more. And why, what started that? Well, me feeling depressed because the business I thought might have went under because the government shut us down. Mm -hmm. right? We're in person. Yeah. If, if, if our students can't come. Why would they keep paying us? Right. Right. So, yeah. anyways, I was going through that, and of course, now uh, the faith got strengthened even more. But it's only through that hardship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, how are you integrating your faith in the workplace? Mm. Um, I think one of the biggest things is um, well, my personal life vision, and I'm lucky because I'm self-employed, and so I can choose my clients and I can choose my projects, which is really a big blessing. But um, just the my goal is Holy Spirit-led writing. And, um, okay, have you ever heard of John Sherrill? No. Have, have you not. ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? Have not. Okay. Um, so there's this book called The Hiding Place, um, and it was about this lady. She had, like, gone through um, a concentration camp. She wasn't Jewish, but her family was Christian and was hiding Jews during the Holocaust. And so then she was... Um, Eventually, their family was caught and taken to concentration camps, and her father and sister passed away, and she survived. So she wrote a book about it, but um, nobody was reading this book. And then this professional writer, John Sherrill, he had like been a Christian, but like maybe like you were saying, the eighty percent. I don't think yeah. he's even eighty percent, but like <laughs> Christian. And then he had this encounter with the Holy Spirit, where God just totally like changed his heart, changed his life, and then. Um, after that, he read Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding, but it wasn't The Hiding Place. It was her first book she'd written herself. And he said to her, this story is incredible, but no one's going to read your book because it's really poorly written. And so he rewrote it as The Hiding Place, which in the 1970s exploded and sold millions of copies. And so I, as a girl, had read that book from my parents' bookshelf, and it really shaped my life. And then other books books that my parents had that were famous in the 70s and 80s and then later I found out he was the ghostwriter and so just I really developed a version for like 
ghostwriting, but like as led by the Lord and led by the spirit to take people's stories and tell them in a way they couldn't tell them themselves to be able to reach far more people and just share God's story of what he's done in people's lives. Cause God's working all the time, but nobody knows it until someone tells the story about it. So I just personally feel called to be God's storyteller and to tell mm. people what God has done. Did you like to write when you were a kid? I started a novel and got maybe half a chapter in and quit. Were you a big reader? I Yeah, I loved reading. Mm. Yeah. And then I, I started like journaling when I was nine. So yeah, I would. Sounds like my that. daughter. I, 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 I would love it if she became a writer. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a, um, even if it's not a profession, I think it's mm-hmm. such a great skill. Even just, if you think about going back, going back to the Bible, um, what does it say? God like spoke creation. Yeah. Think words about that, power, yeah. right? It's like words are so powerful, and uh, communication is so powerful. And if you can write, then you can usually speak because mm-hmm. you can you have the thoughts in your head. Now you just got to get it out of your mouth, yeah. right? And I think that that is such a important skill that. Maybe some some uh, the youth today is lacking. Hmm. Oh, I just thought They're about writing all the time in text messages. <laughs> yes, but here, but think about this AI, right? Yeah. I'll be the first one. I'm guilty if I have to write a formal email. I'm getting on ChatGPT. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not uh, sitting there trying to figure out how I can make myself look so professional. Uh-huh. But then again, I, I get feel guilty because it's like, oh my goodness, my brain's shrinking as I'm using this thing. <laughs> Have you ever thought about yeah. like with AI and writing? Oh, I, yeah, because I can tell. Can you? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's someone... a good question. Thank you for that. Yeah. Can you tell if something is AI? Yeah. You can tell. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Don't use I Don't just like use to encourage it. clients, you are smarter than a robot. Like, trust that you are smarter than a robot. Yeah. You, you can tell. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, maybe maybe we're not going to use AI anymore. Because <laughs> uh, it's... And, uh, that's the way it should be, right? If you take shortcuts, then you shouldn't yeah. get the best results. And I'm not saying it's wrong. Like, if you want to do, like, a first draft or an outline and then take it and, like, fix it into something meaningful, like, yeah. that can help a lot of people. And I'll, I'll so, do that. Yeah. I won't go word for word. Yeah. You know, because sometimes if you just copy it over, then it's, like, clearly, because it has brackets of where you're supposed to put the name <laughs> and all that stuff or the dates. So, obviously, you're going to out yourself there. Yeah. But is it good for, like, finding synonyms or... Is there, you know, give me five ways of saying this. Yeah. And I did. So I did use AI for like, I was putting together a job position. So I typed in like job summary of qualifications for writer and editor. So I took what it had and then like deleted half of it and rewrote it. And, but it like, it did provide a helpful structure to work from. Mm. So So we can use AI just make sure it doesn't (laughs) completely replace our phone voice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So as we uh, close this out. You got a you got a couple things going on, right? So you are kind of a self-employed. Mm-hmm. What do you do there? I know you do some ghostwriting. You do marketing too. Yeah. So um, I work part time for Streamline Books as their editor in chief, and then I also um, just have my own ghostwriting clients also that I work with. Um, and then I have Dream Communications is a boutique marketing agency I started, and so if Small businesses is what we try to cater to. So if people need help with putting their social media together or their email marketing or blogs or website content, we can do all that for them. Mm, so you do the copywriting and 
Like, yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of businesses that don't really need a full-time writer for them yet, but they do need some sort of professional help with their writing. So we try to fill that gap. First. You do blog posts mm-hmm. and then uh, captions and for you know social media. Because yeah. I think that's an art form in itself where you can, <laughs> yeah. you can write it and it doesn't sound robotic or it doesn't sound just cheesy, mm-hmm. right? There's a way, especially if you're trying to um, speak to your target audience, mm-hmm. like you were talking about the high schoolers. Yeah, and uh, it just takes a lot of time. And it's like people can do it, but do they really want to spend the amount of time it would take them to do it versus just mm. hiring someone to do it for them? So then if somebody hired you, Here's just a random question. How far out do you plan their social media kind of uh, writing? Blogs? like Yeah, yeah, it's whatever they request. I try to do it like two weeks to a month ahead of time so that I have time to like send it to them in advance and they look at it and approve everything before it's published. Mm. Um, but it's whatever the client would request. Mm. So then at Streamline, are you kind of just doing the hiring and then kind of the managing of the ghostwriters? Yeah, and then just try to... Um, quality control as much as possible of yeah. like making sure like the writers are writing what they need to be writing that the manuscripts are looking good and that it was edited well and yeah how do people find out about your business uh they can go to my website annikabergen.com okay mm-hmm. and then um is it streamlinebooks.com yeah there's says writemybooks.com writemybooks.com and we'll mm-hmm. add the links in our on our website so if you're listening to this make sure you you check that out if you're looking for ghostwriting marketing services or even just if you need if you want to write a book in six months and you want to make sure it actually gets done <laughs> then go and and uh contact streamline books right so mm-hmm. anyways uh, this has been uh very insightful and uh thank you so much for coming on the show yeah. i know our listeners really uh, benefited from it so thank you you're welcome thank you.